G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to Footyology. We're back. It's a new season. We have new segments, but it's the same old irascible curmudgeons you've come to know and tolerate, if not love, as I say a very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Finey? I'm well, but I take exception to the term curmudgeon. Mainly because I used to use it for Patrick Smith. And I, f- I felt it was an exclusive title that I, that he deserved and was bestowed upon him by myself. Nevertheless, if the shoe fits, we will wear it. How have you been? You, you of course, went overseas, Rowan. I, the simple pleb that I am just muddled around in Melbourne while you saw Europe. Oh, I, I did. Don't worry, we'll be living on bread and water for the next few months. But no, we took off uh, three days after the grand final and we went uh, spent a week in Crete and a week in Croatia and a week in Germany. And it was bloody magnificent, I've got to say. Beautiful parts of the world, all three. Um, we ate very, very well, far too well. Um, the weather was good, uh, lovely people, um, and I've got to say, uh, like of all the spots we were in, um, if you're ever going to Germany, make sure you stay in a lovely place near the border of France and Switzerland called Baden-Baden, which is a... Wagga Wagga Wagga, so good they named it twice. A little bit more sophisticated perhaps, but uh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful part of the world. It's a spa town, finally, so they're big on their spas and we indulged in those. Now, I've been to a German spa and... I, I can see it's coming a mile away, yeah, go on. No, I've been to a German spa. Yeah. I, I had the great pleasure of being treated to spa life in Frankfurt. And the attire of choice is no attire at all. There was no or attire. Or a spare tire. There, there, well, <laughs> there was no attire. And uh, we, yes, we nuded up suitably. And um, uh, it's, it's quite funny, actually. After like a few minutes, you just, you don't notice it. Well, until... Uh, one pool we got in where there was about uh, like six middle-aged guys and uh, Abby, my lovely partner, was unfortunately the only woman in the vicinity. But um, no, it was uh, it was a great experience. So uh, thoroughly recommend that. Yes, we had to shed all our inhibitions, so managed to do that. Uh, no, it was a great trip. Really loved it. Do you reckon if former Richmond captain Tony Free ever went to such a spa, he'd have to shave his pubes off? Uh, why? Because he would be hair free. <laughs> <laughs> what they call it? Um, they they say uh, this is a textile free area. That yeah. means you can't wear clothes. Or, or oh, that's exactly I remember. Or hide your shame with a towel. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's symptomatic of um, of the European culture, I think, which I, I really did grow to love. They're just I don't know. They're a bit more grown up than we are. I think you know without that's, sort of. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was the, the spa I was in had quite a lot of um, fun 
water experiences, like there were sort of buckets of cold water that would pour on you after yep. having a hot spa. Was yep. was it similarly appointed? Yep, very hot and cold, and then yep. you you know there's the sauna bit, and then a cool down shower, and uh, that sort of those extremes of. Heat and cold and clothed and unclothed. Uh, it's yeah. a, a very unique experience and I'm glad I did it. And, yeah. uh, I'm glad I did it when I was 23 because I was <laughs> yeah. relatively fit and sort of parading around like a bit of a rooster. Yeah, too. well, I, I, there was no roostering for me, <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> uh, so what have you been up to? Well, probably as big a, a, as a momentous period for myself as for yourself because we've moved house. Oh, lovely. And where where is the where are fine mansions now residing? Let's just say Yarra side. Yarra side, okay. Yeah, near the Yarra. That narrows it down a bit. We're we talking, you know, sort of Warrandyte, or are we talking south, south of the Yarra? Oh, south of the Yarra. Oh, very, very nice. Yeah. So it's a really nice spot. I'll tell you, for the first time in our lives, I have never had one. My wife has never had one. We've got a swimming pool. Oh, no. Oh, you're headed down the slippery slope there. Let me warn you. Well, I've taken to cleaning it. It yeah. needed a good cleaning. I've been vacuuming it. I've yeah. had the expert in. I've taken the water to the pool shop. Yeah, got the pH levels right. Well, mm. it's a saltwater pool, but yeah. there's, I've, I've tried to make it glint clean, which it has. And then, of course, we had some heavy rains on the weekend. Now, if you've ever seen an idiot try to protect a pool from Mother Nature, I was that man. There's a garden bed near there, and I was trying to make sure that none of it spilled oh. into the pool. It was impossible. It's the single biggest Murphy's law that concerning the pool that every time you clean it, there will be a huge yeah, thunderstorm like or, or the wind will is blow it like up. like the car wash. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And uh, our tree, our tree, our pool is surrounded by a number of uh, very. Uh, are deciduous trees the ones that lose yeah, their leaves? Yes, yeah. They are. So uh, I just spend my entire life running around getting all the leaves out of the pool, and we swim in it about three times a year. So it's a, a very uh, worthwhile exercise. All right, we're not uh, we're not going to beat around the bush here. But speaking of new houses, well, yeah. moving houses and new houses. Uh, well, Nick Spartel is the perfect man, and whilst he's not a pool fitter, some of his houses have beautiful pools because they're great constructions. He's got a couple on the go at the moment around the Albert Park area. Look, if you live in inner city Melbourne, in that, especially South Melbourne, Albert Park, Middle Park area, which is a obviously now more than gentrified, it is a desired part of Melbourne, interestingly shared with some still housing commission properties. So there is a, an interesting abutment. But if you have a property there that is worth money and you want to, capitalise on your investment, think of Spartel and Hardwick Build Co because they will guarantee a maximum return for the land value that's so valuable. Well, you mentioned Albert Park and uh, you say Albert Park these days and that only brings to mind one establishment, Mark, and that is Andrew's Hamburgers. I had something very interesting happen to me with Andrew's Hamburgers. I was wearing their t You know, sometimes you wear clothing and you don't realise that you're sort of wearing it, you're just wearing it. You've worn it for the day. And I was wearing an Andrew's Hamburgers T-shirt a couple of weeks ago. And somebody just walked past me and stopped and said, yes, 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 um, I've had an Andrew's Hamburger. <laughs> I said, oh, oh, yes, of course. Congratulations. He said, oh, I didn't know they had T-shirts. He goes, they are great hamburgers. I went to Andrew's Hamburgers and I didn't know what to say to him next. Like, 
oh, hang on, I've got a bag for you. Congratulations. <laughs> he goes, and then he said to me, do you think if I were going back there, I could get a T-shirt? I said, one could only ask. Well, of course, the next thing you should have said should have concerned this podcast. I said to him, I'm involved in it, and he was off. You know, didn't want to hear about me. Just love that I had the Andrews Hamburgers T-shirt on. There is a, no, 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 no. Oh, I love Andrew, as he walked away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a fine establishment, fine uh, men running at the two Gregs, and uh, very, very fine it's, hamburgers. Does two Gregs equal an Andrew? I'm trying to work out the uh, the maths. The uh, math well, in length of the name, uh, probably, yeah, might have one left over, in fact. That might be the free one. Good. Uh, all right, well, we're going to get into it, and uh, we are going to talk plenty of stuff in the summer version of Footyology, but... Don't worry, we've got plenty of footy to talk about, and we're going to do that right now. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Okay, let's talk Turkey. And uh, we thought in this first summer edition we would uh, recap the important footy news of the immediate postseason. And uh, don't worry, finding I was half the world away, but still managed to stay across a very, very busy trade period. Uh, it did the usual thing. It sort of coughed and spluttered and there was a lot of speculation for not much reward. But in the end, I think it was something like 30 players shifted homes, which was the most ever. Um, I'll, I'll ask the cliched question. Who were the big winners of the trade period? I've got to put St Kilda on top. As much as there may be the bias of a St Kilda supporter excited by the prospect of new players to name to have five players come out at the start of trade week which is 10 days which is trade period which is a slow moving beast five players came out and nominated St Kilda well let's run through them again Dougal Howard and Paddy Ryder both from Port Adelaide Brad Hill from Fremantle that's a great pickup I reckon Zach Jones, interesting pickup, could be really good value for them. And Dan Butler, premiership uh, forward from Richmond. It's a, it's a fair bounty, and I'm with you. I, I, I look at them and I think, yeah, they could all really offer something. My one but, it, it's not, um, it's just based on history, and that is my my recollection. Now we saw it happen with Port a couple of years ago. We saw it happen with Brisbane about ten years ago. That every time a club seems to go crazy eight bonkers at the trade table and gets a whole swag of these guys, it never seems to work. Oh, that, no, I disagree. Well, I when mean, has it worked? For St Kilda, when they got Hamill, Gehrig, and Capuano, Callahan, that was a, a huge period for St Kilda. Picking up Hamill and Gehrig in the same trade period, look, that was... For Were the there a couple of busts there as well? Though? Well, Cap, well, Capuano was... And Luke Penny. Look, Luke, Luke Penny was a very good player, but he's time came early because of injury. Kept Didn't help their performance. St Kilda's? Yeah. Yeah, it took them from, absolutely did. It took but, them from the post-Watson era into, Ham, that Hamill and Gehrig saw us into 2004-2005. It changed the club completely. Yeah, St Kilda okay. had right. been, St. Kilda, right. look, St Kilda had been a victim of trades and, and Carlton's whipping boy for years. To get a player that Carlton did not want to release... And to get Gehrig on his return to Victoria, that was so different to St Kilda's previous previous efforts of All trying right, to get well that, Barry Mitchell. And, that was then. Let's okay. talk about now. So about now. Right. Um, it has to be counted by, or it ha- has been counted by who St Kilda no longer have on the list. But I think 
Okay, so just quickly, uh, no Jack Stephen. Okay. He's gone to Geelong. And I think that was an inevitable inev- inevitable outcome. No Blake Akers. He's gone to Fremantle. No Josh Bruce. He's off to the Western Bulldogs. That is the one that St Kilda fans were not budgeting for. But to get those deals done, St Kilda only had a first round pick and their next pick was in the 50s to get five players to the club. And what St Kilda did do which people thought was not possible was preserve next year's first round pick. So to do that, somebody had to make way. And that was Bruce. St Kilda's also uh, released Jack Nunes, who will play for Carlton as a free, as an unrestricted free agent. That's an interesting one, yeah. I think Nunes and Akers were considered players that were, if not, I don't want to use the term list cloggers, but they had plateaued and were marking time without taking it to a, a level that would have raised St Kilda's hopes. And the other one, of course, is Paddy McCartan's no longer with uh, St Kilda. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, a sad story, really, and it does uh, but, appear like his football is over. But good news, Dylan Roberton not only is cleared to play, but has started pre-season in good, in good health and ripping and rearing to go. Well... Let's run through some of the others. Sure. You mentioned Jack Nunes. He's now at Carlton along with uh, Mark Pittnett uh, from Hawthorne who only had a handful of games for the Hawks. Of course, a bit of competition for him. Why would, and, you, why would you move on Phillips and get Pittnett? Because I thought Phillips certainly ended the season very well. Okay, well, speaking of Phillips, he's bobbed up at Essendon along with Tom Cutler from Brisbane. Uh, Eddie Betts, of course, one of the uh, the big names uh, back at the Blues. Um, I'm a fan of that move. I just think the uh, sort of cultural impact um, and uh, just the sort of excitement factor could be worth every bit as much as his actual football. So I'm a fan of that one. Well, Carlton, if they land Jack Martin through pre-season, through the drafting period and he doesn't come to terms with Gold Coast, and they get Jack Martin. I think Carlton supporters will say, all right, it was a fair trade period. They didn't land Papley. The, there is a victim through all of this. Steve Silvani is leaving the club because he, I think it was viewed as an unsuccessful gambit by them, the way they attacked trade period. They were really sitting around waiting to see whether Danaher could be done, and they weren't masters of their own destiny. So it's been a savage reaction, but goodbye, Steve Silvani. Uh, a couple of others I wanted to mention too. Geelong, who have topped up uh, probably as much, if not more, than just about any club over the last four or five years, and they've done it again with Jack Stephen and Josh Jenkins. And I look at those two arrivals, and I think they've done pretty well. Interesting, Josh Jenkins. What will he provide at a club with a better forward line than the one he was at? Mm. Because Hawkins is a better player than Walker. Well, when you say better forward line than the one he was at, I mean, two years ago, they had the best forward line in the competition. The one that he left, I should say. He's been talked down far too much for mine. Uh, Like, he he just seems to, uh, the amount of... He's he's a leading forward. He's a very tall leading forward. As long as people know that... that's all right. I'm saying as long as people know that and don't expect him to be a a pack buster, then live with it. Well, Tom Hawkins is a pack buster, you know, so he'll compliment him nicely. They, I mean, Hawkins has become a, a mobile forward as well. I think they are well suited to that sort of player, aren't they? They, mm. they have good, good distribution out of the midfield. Interesting to see how they go without Kelly. Yeah, well, I, I was going to say, if you're going to lose a player the calibre of Tim Kelly, I reckon Jack Stevens is a pretty handy substitute. 
I love Jack. I actually caught up with him on the day he was traded. How is he? He's really good. I, I, I sent him an SMS just wishing him all the best. He said, I'm at the Elsterwick Hotel with a mate. Do you want to pop down? It was a funny moment because I sort of hugged him and said, how are you? You know, the the question you ask around mental health is, how are you going? Mm. He said, yeah, good. And he hugged me and said, how are you going? Good. And I said, how are you going? And then he looked at me and he said, he said to me, how long are we going to ask you how we're going? <laughs> Um, a couple more quickly. Uh, the Suns, obviously, uh, in a, a world of pain and definitely need the senior end bolstered. So they've now got Brandon Ellis, Hugh Greenwood and Zach Smith going back to the Suns after his stint at Geelong. Um, I mean, their big news during the trade period was Ben King recommitting to the club for an extra two seasons. Yeah, true, true. And uh, that's a good sign. It is a good sign. Sam Jacobs ending up at GWS. A necessary cover for Mumford who's going on. And what about Hawthorne? Have they uh, pulled a, a Swifty on us all again with uh, the sort of lately forgotten man in John Patton and uh, Sam Frost who, you know, cops a bit of flack, Sam, but uh, I think he has his good qualities and well, Patton, you know, I mean given Hawthorne's record for getting guys right and, and firing again you know, that one, I just got visions of him sort of coming good and everyone going, oh, yeah, that's right. That's why he was a number one draft pick. Yeah, but it doesn't make sense. If you have a look at their list, I cannot understand why they would select him. Why? They need a key forward. Well, they've got uh, Mitch Lewis. Yeah, I don't think he's necessarily a, a well, bona fide key forward. But he's that size player. Well, hang on. If they've retained Segler yeah. on a, a longer-term contract, McAvoy's still playing. Yeah. O'Brien ended up forward. Yeah, O'Brien sort of came good. But I, th- I think your key men are O'Brien and Patton. You've Lewis got is sort of your you've third got Gunston Yeah, there. but Gun- Gunston's a bit like Lewis, I reckon. Okay, so the question is, where does Patton play? Because whenever he had to share the forward line with another player, it never worked at GWS. I really don't think they're looking to put Mitch Lewis back in the twos, are they? No, no, I, I think he'd just be the more Back-up mobile Hill, sort of say. third tall. I, I think Patton is their replacement. Anyhow, Rough if, head. Anyhow, if Patton, if Patton was able to overcome his third knee reconstruction and live up to his very best potential, you'd love to have him in your team. I think uh, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge before that happens. Any anything else catch your eye? Melbourne, quite interesting. Adam Terrible. Tomlinson and Ed Langdon, not Terrible. a fan. Oh, well, they nominated them as their two wingmen. Tomlinson mm. was on display during the final series and really, you know. Black marked himself with terrible disposal. He almost cost them the preliminary final in that savage comeback by the Pies. Mm. It was he kept kicking it to them. I mean, and he was poor in the grand final. He's nominated himself as a wingman, but he's never ever succeeded there. Ed Langdon's a good hard running player, but not a great user. Why Melbourne didn't address their forward line issues, I don't understand. And they gave Sam Frost away. Uh, two more clubs we should just look at quickly. I think. Um and they're both clubs I'd look at anyway and think, eh, they could come with a bit of a, a rush. Well, one of them ended up making the finals, of course, Western Bulldogs. Uh, Josh Bruce and Alex Keith, two good of, pickups at either end. Yeah, a couple of, couple of good... There's recruiting as needs be, mm. isn't it? Yeah. They've got a great midfield. They certainly have a hard-working forward line. Lloyd is a good small forward, but Norton's very promising. I don't think Shacky convinced us, even though he played some decent games, that he's the second tall forward. But I tell you what, Bruce will be. It's a great pickup. And likewise, down back, great support for that back line. 
could be the man that almost leads the back line, Alex Keith. I think they're excellent pickups for a team that could could point the ship at top four. And the other one, Sydney, uh, who finished fourth last. I still look at the ladder and think, my God, how did the Swans finish fourth last? But they've picked up uh, Lewis Taylor from Brisbane, Caden Brand from Hawthorne, and Sam Gray from Port Adelaide. And I like that one. I reckon he's a pretty talented player, Sam Gray. Sam Gray was being floated around at a few clubs, Carlton, St Kilda. In the end, he just got delisted and Sydney pounced. That's not a bad pounce. It's not a bad pounce at all. I think Sydney's obviously going to rely. I, I reckon it. I don't know. I don't know why they were so hot on Danaher. Surely they need to see how Franklin. He's already training. How he lines up, and mm. he and Reed is enough tall strength up forward, especially with young Tom McCartan as a swingman. Well, yeah, no, that's a fair point. Reed's been very iffy over the years, yes, of course, has. but uh, one to keep in mind. All right, look, that's enough on the trades. Let's. I wanted just, to talk. Just a lot. I think West Coast probably have done. Equal to St Kilda. You know, they're a good team. To get Kelly, yeah. whatever the cost, is worth it. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because on the other sort of uh, big, how do they go, uh, competition of the off-season, that tends to be on the fixture. And as you know, I do the footyology, patented footyology fixture formula. I love this. I sit back. I'm handing the reins to you. <laughs> who fared well? Well, I'll tell you who didn't fare well, and that was West Coast. Um, in fact, okay, if you're not familiar with this, and it's all explained on footyology.com.au with the accompanying table, we take into account five factors. They are the um, play twice factor, which clubs your team plays twice. There is the um, interstate versus home state advantage and how many games you get that in. And there is the uh, travel factor, so we talk about not just numbers of road trips, but whether they're long haul and short haul and different points for each. Uh, and then consecutive six-day breaks, which is a, a big, big factor. And the club certainly um, mark in with a red pen those games they get that are coming off consecutive six-day breaks. I, re- I reckon there's one other factor that should be considered. What is it? And that is front-end favourable draws. It's important. Oh, yeah. yeah. Important, yeah. say, in the first two months to have a decent draw and not be just yep. put out of the running. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I've looked at that informally, of course, yes. but uh, worth considering. But all those things considered, and bearing in mind, of course, that West Coast and Fremantle have the uh, most difficult sort of um, road trip factor because we do, we do it, the higher the score, the uh, worse the draw. Um, and... W- West Coast and Freo get two points for each road trip. So they're 20s each time before you even start. So West, uh, they've always got a tough draw of sorts. But West Coast this year, um, the big issue for them was only two teams actually ended up with consecutive six-day break, two lots of consecutive six-day breaks. One was Essendon, the other was West Coast. Um What's the other thing there? The uh, They've got their home state advantage, of course, but their play twice factor was really, really tough. They have got... Um, no, I haven't got it recorded there, sorry. But their total points of 89, that is the highest figure I've ever recorded in the nine Gee. seasons I've well, been... That, that, yeah, that's... And next, and next most revealing. yeah, and next most difficult. There were three I had level on seventy four points, and that was Geelong, Collingwood, and Richmond. But that's fifteen points back, so really, really tough for the Eagles. Um, Essendon I mentioned have two lots of consecutive six day breaks. Although overall, I thought their draw was about mid table. 
Um, who had the best draw? Well, you'll like hearing this, Finey. And we said they had the best trade period. I've got St Kilda with the best draw for 2020. Their play twice score was the equal second lowest. Uh, now, of the five sides they play twice, Finey, Geelong is the only side that finished in the top 10 on the 2018 ladder. The others are Adelaide, Fremantle, Carlton and Melbourne. Um, they do have to go to Shanghai, of course, to play, um, and they play an away game against Gold Coast in Darwin, yep. yes, uh, yep. which is probably a benefit, but they only have one trip to Perth, uh, no consecutive six-day breaks, plenty of home games against interstate sides, uh, which they score well for. So they've done pretty well. It's the, I know we can make predictions on the play-twice factor, but I guess until the season plays out, you're never quite sure, are you? Yeah, well, this is I, – I did want to mention this. And, look, I'll just run through the order. So in, in terms of easiest to hardest, this is how I had it. St Kilda, Fremantle, Sydney, Gold Coast, Melbourne, Western Bulldogs, Port Adelaide, Carlton, Adelaide, North Melbourne, Hawthorne, Essendon, Brisbane, GWS, Richmond, Collingwood, Geelong, West Coast – now, you look at that, and that's about the way it should be, really. You've got the, the seven toughest draws in the competition were all finalists from last year. Um, so the Western Bulldogs, another one worth mentioning. I had them with the sixth most favourable draw, and they, of course, were a final side too. But look, to your point, yes, of course, these things are hard to quantify because you don't know how sides are going to be next year and what looks a tough opponent now might end up being a soft opponent next season, Melbourne being a good example from last year. That's right. But I did get a little bit peeved at, uh, I think Mark Robinson wrote one. There were a couple of columns from people uh, sort of who clearly weren't involved in covering the draw and hadn't sort of put in the requisite work who were very keen to say, um, oh, look, it's all crap. Don't worry about it. It doesn't mean anything. It's how they go next year. Well, in terms of quantifiable factors, I would have thought, uh, you know, it's it's as good to speculate about that as anything else in the lead-up to a season. You know, if, if that's going to be your modus operandi for what we should and shouldn't talk about, there'd be a lot of blank space in newspapers. I would have thought 90% of what we write about is speculation. And I'll say this, Finey. Yes. We agree that the competition is more equal than it has been previously. I think, um, look, the differences between a, a really tough draw and a, a, an easy draw aren't necessarily great, but in a competition that's more even than ever, those little advantages count for more. And to wit, take this on board. Uh, when the 2017 draw was released, I rated Essendon, Port Adelaide and Richmond as having the three best draws in the competition. None of those three teams had appeared in the finals the previous year. They all did in 2017. Of course, Richmond won the flag. This is why This is why you've put a patent on it. When the 2018 fixture was released, I rated North Melbourne's fixture the easiest and Collingwood's the third easiest. The Roos were almost universally tipped to finish in the bottom two. Of course, they came ninth, just missing the finals. And uh, not many people had the pies in their top eight. Of course, a kick off a premiership. So, you know, I think... Did you, you give us any... Any idea that Brisbane were going to climb in 2019? Oh, I should have been prepared for that one. I think I had Brisbane with a, pr- a pretty decent draw. Yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, look, my, my point is every there is so little between each team now that every advantage counts for plenty. 
And I think the draw actually is more important now than it's ever been and certainly worthy of uh, a decent analysis other than someone uh, dashing off um, a few brain farts off the top of their head saying, don't worry about it, it's all a bunch of crap. Uh, all right, I, I do like who Port Adelaide, uh, Gold Coast played twice. Who's that? They play a team from every state, which is very unusual. Yeah, well... Port uh, Adelaide, Sydney, Frio, Melbourne and Brisbane. Well, they've had some weird draws, haven't they? Of course, they've played in Shanghai and they had... Uh, remember, they had the home game against Fremantle in Perth? Yeah, that's right. That was, <laughs> that's a, that was a great advantage. <laughs> that was the year of the Commonwealth Games when they played... Uh, they didn't play at home till about round 10, I think. All right, we're going to move on, but just quickly, uh, we are going to touch on news from other sports uh, in this segment. So you had something you wanted to mention. Yeah, well, young Jake Fraser-McGurk, as we record or at least put the podcast together. We shouldn't say record because uh, that's old technology. I don't know what we do now. No, we are recording. Oh, good. Um, I just want to make it sound fancier. As we podulate, (laughs) it's Monday and tomorrow will mark the debut of the third youngest ever Victorian to play Sheffield Shield cricket behind George Hazlitt. Or Debit, if you're Jessica Malboy. I was reminded of her infamous slip on that. Debut. Yeah, Um, debut, yeah. So only a few days older than Cameron White in 2001 and a chap called Hazlitt some years beforehand. The young man from Monash Tigers is yet to turn 18. He's requested number 23 because Warney's his hero and also the man who sort of gave the imprimatur that he should play after making... 130 for the Victorian second 11 against Queensland. He's got the nod. I'm glad he said Warney was his hero and not Michael Jordan or something. Yeah, he also mentioned a few of those as well. Some of the other famous 23. Good to see the hyphenated name uh, doing very well in, in sporting ranks these days too. Yeah, Fraser McGurkin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good name. <laughs> it is. Um, and, and just while you're away, mm-hmm. T20 World Cup is in Australia next year, the mm-hmm. final in Sydney. I think it's, I don't know if it's all in Sydney, but definitely the final is. And unlike the World Cup, of one-day cricket, where it was really a close shop, I think there's 16 teams competing, which meant five teams had to qualify from the second tier of cricket. And I watched this tournament, had some surprise results. Singapore defeating Scotland was a shock. They didn't get through. But this team got through and actually made the final. Netherlands won the whole thing. Oh, that's right. I saw the after pictures beating, of them beating Ireland yeah. in the semi, which was a shock. Ireland are through. Yep. Amman are through, I believe. But so in New Guinea, Papua New Guinea. And really? I, I watched them play four games. They are exactly the opposite of what you think. It is so counterintuitive. First of all, they're made up, most of the teams are made up, have representation from the subcontinent. I don't, hang on, I don't know if I actually had a view about what Papua New Guinean cricket would look like. Well, Papua New Guinean society is fairly disordered. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. There are gangs or rascals and whatever they, but it, it's not an ordered society there. That that It's a bit of a, a sort of a Wild West. Well, their parliament's a bit chaotic. I remember that. Everything's chaotic there. The mining industry requires armed guards. It's a, it's a dangerous place. They play cricket with such great respect. They might not have... First of all, there, there's no... All the players are, are New Guinean-born and, and heritage. Most teams have a lot of subcontinental players such as the popularity and the spread of people from that part of the world. But this is a team fully of New Guinean heritage cricketers, and they play their their discipline, their fielding, their running between the wickets, their bowling to a plan. They just are great. They're not super talents, 
but they are so well schooled and they love it. And it's apparently a wonderfully organised part of a disorganised society. So we sort of talking like WG Grace sort of uh, aesthetic or? You know what we're talking? We're talking bowlers who, they're not tall, but they all bowl full outside off stump with the field set accordingly. They've got a very good couple of spinners. Mm. Their batsmen are not huge hitters, but they run brilliantly between the wickets and they field. I just expected, you know, little things like backing up and they are, and you know who their coach is? Who? Brett Dory. The big WA paceman. Yeah, okay. All right, so very correct. I keep thinking cucumber sandwiches at tea time. What? They'll they'll be a, a crowd favourite come the World Cup. They All right, really so you're be. on the Papua New Guineans for the T Twenty World Cup. All right, time to move on, and uh, with much excitement, finally, it's time to get into one of our new segments: Life Hacks, Building a Better World. Okay, what on earth I can hear you uh, mumbling there as you heard that sting. Well, you know, we're a couple of irascible old codgers, but uh, we feel that, you know, we've got a bit of experience to pass on to people and our our musings on on life and, and love and society mm. and culture. Um, and so it's just going to be some random observations, but uh, things that have taken our eye or um, or uh, got on our wick or you you know oh no we already do that and rant off don't we I, I say this your fulsome mustache which is now very much a part of Rocco yeah it's perfect you should be there twirling the end of it <laughs> it's bloody irritating actually yes I believe <laughs> I don't know how to sort of trim it and keep it fulsome and lustrous but uh, I'll, I'll be working go to that. a barber you, I'm sure they'll get be happy an to, old school barber, yeah. Not an old school, a new school hipster barber. Yeah, yeah. They'll be happy to separate about you and a hundred dollars of waxes and yeah, little, yeah. little mustache combs. This could be one of these. Uh, yeah, this like, is a life what, hack. a new a new um a new style barber and all these hipsters come in with the bloody Ned Kelly beard and the mustache. What work have they got to do? I have got not where I live now, where I used to live, within cycling distance. Probably, probably my two closest hipsters, hipster barbers, yeah. had something very odd in common. What was that? They both had a pool table. Oh yeah, what, yeah. What? 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 Yeah, it's of, I don't know. It sort of feels right though, the aesthetic, and must surely. Please tell me they've got the red and white striped they the, pole. They've got the pole. Yeah. They've also got. Why is very it a pole? Small, by the way, they've also got very small staffies running around. Well, why is it a pole? A red and white pole. What, what's the origin of that with barbers? Me, no, not. I know they used to double as surgeons, so maybe it was a medical... I can see this segment taking up the entire show. So I'll, I'll say this about a hipster barber. Yeah. I will say this. Right, so... There is, not a, there is not a fashion statement in the world that will ever allow you to... Or get me to pay $40 for a, a buzz cut, you know, for using clippers. Yeah. 40 bucks for a clipper cut. Do you know what I pay for my haircut? No, I'm not going to say because they're very good. Oh, I don't know. They probably pay you zero. I have bought my own clippers, wall clippers. Oh, really? And I've taught myself. My hair's all right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's all right. This is my second self-done haircut. No, I'm not telling you what mine costs because it'll elicit the same reaction that everyone else has when I tell them how much. It's either eight dollars or ninety. It's a lot. No, it's not a lot, but no, it's not ninety. 
but it's it's you know it's on the upper end of the Rowan, scale. Never pay more than fifty dollars to get your hair cut or to eat a steak. Don't ever do it. Okay, all right. I think I'm right on the precipice there. Uh, all right, I'm going to kick us off. We're going to have three observations each. Now, my first We've one. We've had them, haven't we? Yeah, probably. Um, my first uh, um, official one is, uh, and these obviously have come from my trip overseas, but I couldn't help but think, Finey, why is it that Europeans can drink as much alcohol as they like without making dicks of themselves? Now, because they eat as well. I, I saw this everywhere. Like in, in Crete particularly, a lot of outdoor dining. In Germany, you know, they, they drink oh, they drink a lot in Germany. But there's no none of the sort of nanny state stuff about not taking your alcohol outside. No one cares. You know, a couple of times, you know, I said to people, oh, can I take this outside? And I sort of like, yeah, what, what are you talking about? You know, but... The war is over. I, I didn't. <laughs> in fact... I, I could. I was telling everyone how lovely the German people were, and about I reckon about half a dozen came back with, "Yeah, well, they have got a bit of making up to do." You know, I cannot speak highly enough. No, of, they were they were of my lovely time, people. My time in Germany, yeah. uh, and you know, my backdrop being Jewish is probably more profound than when you're not Jewish, and they are. They are. It almost makes you question what happened even more because they are educated, sensible people. With a slight urine fetish. Well, <laughs> maybe what happened helped them become the uh, forward-thinking, sophisticated yeah. country they are. Pity my, but, pity but, my family had to pay getting, the price. But get, getting, <laughs> getting back to that alcohol thing, but not just in Germany, though. In, it was the same in Crete. It was the same in Croatia. I didn't see a single pissed yeah, uh, person. Uh, my wife's grandparents are still with us. In fact, we... They're in their 90s. They're about to celebrate their 71st wedding anniversary. They are mobile. They're healthy. They live together in an apartment, and they drink. And the grandfather drinks. But he drinks vodka, and for every shot of vodka, there's the Eastern European bread with some uh, sausage on it or herring. It's never, ever, because you feel it in your own body. If you've drunk... A, a proper European who enjoys drinking will not let the drink overtake the night. Yeah. But whereas we do. And do you, do you think they they drink to actually enjoy the alcohol and or the taste, and we drink to get pissed and to show off? You know, I'm having my nineteenth. It's pretty stuff, lame, isn't it? You know, stuff, there's you know, where's the plaque for who's drunk the most stuff? He's a boonie diddler. But, you know, there's none of that. Yeah. There's just. An appreciation of al- al- and I don't like alcohol, so for me, I I'm not huge on. I wonder whether if I was born in, if I was European, whether I would have had a palate for it, because mm. for me, it was only ever a means to an end, yeah, and not a tasty one. Whereas in Europe, from a young age, if you're in Italy and Spain, it'll be wine, yeah. If you're in the eastern part of Europe, it'll be more spirits, but it will always yeah. be done with food. Uh, ouzo did have yeah, a bit of, of a, did okay. have a bit of ouzo in in Crete. Yeah, but, but again, do you like ouzo? Ah, uh, geez, it was fiery. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Like I'm like you. I'm I'm actually not big on alcohol. I mean, I'll drink it, but it doesn't. I'm not one of those people that needs to have a drink every night. Anyway, that's enough of my first one. What's your first life hack? I don't love my children enough to worry about how good the roads will be during their life once I'm dead. I cannot understand these never-ending roadworks in Melbourne. There's no benefit to them if they're 
completed only to be replaced by more imposing traffic stopping snail creating roadworks. I just came there, and I came there past has to be one a on the full, way there here. There has to be a full stop to this, yeah. otherwise there's no benefit. In whose lifetime? Yeah. I think it's just the state government saying we got re-elected on our level crossing policy, so we're going to have even more of a show of, of public works. Do you wonder if sometimes they, they just they do do it for show? They just wheel out a hundred of those orange sticks and get uh, you know two dozen blokes in high-vis vests and a couple of paddle pops with stop and slow on it and just stick them there even when there's no work just to make people think, hmm, Victoria, on the move. Yeah, I, I don't. I, the one that really annoys people is when there's no one manning these sites and they've still got the 40Ks up and you just... I oh, like, the, like the Burnley Bur- Tunnel. Yeah, and like the bridge from the airport at night. Yeah. The, the Balti Bridge and whatever. But the most annoying element, I think, of the whole thing is that you can't... You don't... I don't really know what they're doing. I don't know... <laughs> I understand level crossings. They're gouging out the heart of sort of St Kilda Road for some domain... Some, I don't know oh, what the domain is. tunnel. What is no, it? No, not the domain tunnel, the uh, east-west link so, or Some tunnel. domain something. No, well, it's going under the domain. Why? Why, why are they putting unders and overs? Well, under? the, well, that was a whole sort of compensation for the east-west link, which got scrapped. Uh, that's like saying, you know what, we screwed up on the desal plant, we're going to put more salt in your water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can get free salt. What about those roadworks when there's sort of one guy digging a hole and there's about six guys standing around him looking and then the bloke holding well, the, the it paddle is, pot? Road safety is compounded by the fact that all construction now needs to have road safety because if you're building a house or, or constructing something, you need road access. And it just becomes this complete... I, I reckon I have been, and I'm not kidding here, I have sort of been rerouted so far away from where I'm going that I no longer can get, I no longer know the suburb I'm in. (laughs) There's suburbs I don't know, I'll be honest. All right, uh, good one. I like that, and I do concur. All right, my second one, again, it's uh, travel-orientated, but... um, I couldn't Bigger get, smoking rooms at airports? Uh, smoking yeah. lounges are getting smaller and smokier? They're pretty small. I remember going to one in Denpasar and it was like a the phone best. box. Oh, I, I, it I, was I, like we walked in, it was just like... <coughs> oh, they're the best. The ones in Asia are fantastic. I went to one in... it's humid as well. Oh, I went to one in Shanghai. Yeah. That, that I, This is no word of a lie. The guy I was travelling with, I, I no longer smoke, but as much. that <laughs> The guy I was travelling with walked past this smoking room looking for me and missed me because it was so smoky. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, well, that could have been one as well. But oh, no, I wanted to talk about the incredible uh, – you know the, how security at airports has really tightened up post 9-11, obviously. But I still don't reckon we're on the ball or we're certainly not on the same page in an international sense because the amount of different um, – requirements that there were. Now, as you know, I have a defibrillator, right? Now, if you out there don't know, yes, I have a defibrillator. And, um, of course, you can't go through the normal walkway because it triggers it off. So that means it's a pain in the ass every time I go through airport security. You've got it. Where have you got it? A pain in the ass. Shouldn't (laughs) it be here for the heart? Yes, very funny. Uh, Every time I go through airport security, I've got to get 
the old pat-down search. So you become very familiar with the routine. And But in our travels, like there were that many different requirements. So at Tullamarine now, they've got a new sort of body scan thing where you don't I, – I can go through that. It doesn't set off the alarm. So that I love that one. You know, I'd, I'd gleefully leave Melbourne just to be able to go through the scanner in two minutes rather than take five. Um, but in various places on our travels, uh, now here we go, I wrote it down. So in Croatia, um, no, not Croatia, in Athens, I had to take my belt off to go to get the pat down search, but I was allowed to leave my shoes on, right? Now, shoes are big. They're usually, they make you take your shoes off because you could be like that shoe bomber guy a long time ago. So, Were you forced to do like a Zorba dance? No, I wasn't. <laughs> to shake loose any weaponry? So, so that was surprising. And then in Dubai, it was the complete opposite. I had to take my shoes off, but I was allowed to leave my belt on. So completely the reverse. And then the place that really worried me, I've got to admit, was in Croatia. Because when we, I can't remember if it was Dubrovnik or Split, but one of those two airports, I put my thing on the bag on the uh, belt, goes through, and uh, I leaned over and said to the guy, I've got a defibrillator. And he goes, Zoran, defibrillator. And uh, so the guy uh, waves me through the the special gate, and I'm standing there with my arms out, and he turns around and he goes, you're you're right. Didn't even, didn't even... Frisk me. He's a footyology fan. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, uh, <clears throat> he's a note to all would-be terrorists, if you, if you oh, want. No, don't, no, no, don't, no, don't be a terrorist. No, no, don't be a terrorist. Turn your but, back uh, on such activities. Uh, Become a footyologist. If there are any uh, world aviation authorities listening to this podcast, you might want to just check on the boys at uh, Dubrovnik and Split, because I think things are a little lax there. All right, your turn. Okay, number two. If you're the sort of person that has has been or is willing to be influenced by an influencer, oh, yeah, then yeah. you really have to have a long hard look at yourself. You're talking Instagram, influencers, influencers. Isn't that just like the kid at school that was the the cool kid and tried to impose their taste on you? <laughs> yeah, the very idea. All right, if people are out there making money as an influencer, well and good. But please, don't be the influenced. Isn't it just a, a sort of code word for a young, early 20s model or reality show contestant? No, no. It's people with big followings. Look, you could be an influencer. If you used your Twitter power, which is vast... For good. <laughs> for for product placement rather than badgering. Yeah. If you were, <laughs> But if, you, if a company came... You could be an influencer. Actually, but isn't it interesting... Why don't you just send out a tweet... Tomorrow. Yeah. Here's something interesting, everybody out there. Dr. Shoal footwear made me... <laughs> I'm much more comfortable in my well, Dr. Shoal I've footwear. Done, I've done that in a more covert manner a couple of times, I think. But Twitter... And well, that's one of the things... Vote, that, vote. <laughs> <laughs> Backwards. <laughs> Rabol Itov. <laughs> um, yeah, or walked across a crossing with no shoes on. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. No, t- Twitter, one of the things I like about Twitter is it doesn't do that. But Instagram, and, and I'm on Instagram and yeah, I have Instagram, been for a while, for but it's, yeah, but it's so shallow. Can I tell you, if, if I've got to be honest, Rowan, if you came out on Instagram tomorrow with a big following mm. and said, wow, 
how cool new footy specs. Yeah. I would make a note to self to never ever buy yeah. footy specs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like reverse influence. Correct. Yeah. De influence. No, no, I'm with you on that. It's all it's all pretty vacuous. It's peer pressure. All right, last one and um uh I've got to tell you, Fanny, uh I don't know if you've heard this, but one of my life's ambitions um has been to appear on Media Watch and have my voice impersonated oh, by an actor. Yeah. Well, it finally happened. Um, well, you were on Media Watch. I was on Media Watch uh, last week, as a matter of fact. Oh, what for? I missed Well, it. this was... You, you remember my story about the house, how Domain tried to sell off my house? Yes. Yeah, well, Media Watch were going to use this back in March, and something else came up, and it got bumped, and I never sort of thought of it again. And I watch Media Watch religiously every week. Funnily enough, last Monday, I actually flaked out really early and missed it. And I woke up about like 3 a.m. and I've got this barrage of text messages and they're all about Media Watch. And I thought, why? And then someone said, oh, about a house. And I put two and two together. And what had happened, there was a, another domain, um, let's say, stuff up. Uh, some, uh, some guy had his house apparently sold from beneath him for $50 million or something. And he was filthy about it. And he actually took it to the Australian Press Council. Uh, which I never did because our house is worth considerably less than that. Um, but they, so they did a story about this other guy and then um, they tacked this little bit onto the end. In fact, I think we've got the audio of that. Let's have a quick listen to that now. All in all, a bad stuff up by domain and not the first time they've got it wrong. Back in March, a former sports journalist of the age, Rowan Connolly, tweeted this about domain's report of another supposed sale. I'm calling bullshit here. See this East Malvern home, which recently sold for $1 million? It didn't. How do I know? Because it's our house, which we bought more than eight years ago, still live in, and have never had on the market since. Whoops. Wrong again. <laughs> That's great. Did you like that? <laughs> do, do they think you're from a farmer from Udnadatta? Well, I, I yeah, yes, Dave. I, I call bullshit on that one. I expect, Ma, is I, the roast in the oven? I always feared. No, I actually thought they maybe sound less ochreish than I actually do. And, and I thought, when I thought about how they'll do it, and I remembered that the first line of a tweet said bullshit, and, and I'm a sports writer, you know, they tend to typecast people. I thought of me, ah, strength! <laughs> <laughs> you know how I would have had you? How? Hi, I call absolute. <laughs> Hi, this is Rowan. I call absolute bullshit on that. I mean, that was absolute rubbish. We still live here. Uh, right. Being the gals. Okay, you're up. <laughs> My last one is a simple one. It's really just a question. I love documentaries on chimps, orangutans, and gorillas. I'm into this thing called Orangutan Island. I just oh, yeah, it. what's that on? Two series. Oh, it's on one of the... National Geographic. Yeah, or one of those channels. Yeah, but okay. I know all the... I know all the... Chen Chen, he's only got one eye. And there's all different orangutans. Oh, I'm you very, know them by name? Yeah, they're all named. <laughs> okay. Where do they live? On an island. They're, they're rescued. Oh, chimp... What is it? Chimp Orangutan Island. Orangutan Island. Orangutan Island. They've right. all been rescued. And there's, there's too many. There's all these baby ones in nurseries looking to go to other islands. They need more land. They need... Because there's a lot of orphaned orangutans. Is this a reality show? Dad, tell me. Dad, tell me. They take the they take one orangutan off in a corner and do that private interview, and they slags off the other one. Can you do that? Just pretend to do that in your little chimp voice. Well, chimps are different to orangutans. Can you do an orangutan voice? (laughs) 
<laughs> what was he actually saying there? They do this a lot. <laughs> They've got great lips. Their lips can actually pick things up. What was he actually saying there? Was he slagging, slagging off the They laugh a lot. They smile and yeah. they laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I like orangutans. They're great. Okay. So uh, how much sort of chimpery and orangutan I can't get you? enough. Right. I just want to know, am I an island here, orangutan? Or do people just love documentaries on apes because we are so similar to them? Uh, yeah. I, love, I love male gorillas, the big gorilla. They well, just, in some cases, you'd say around. they're a lot more advanced than us. Those big gorillas just lie around all day, scratching themselves, and when one of the little gorillas annoy them, they just give them a whack. <laughs> 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 they, and they, I love when the gorillas do that, you know. It's it's very loud. Do you remember that show in our in our youth that used Lance to Link, Secret Chimp? No, no. It was a <laughs> it was a doco, a wildlife doco. It used to be on, you know, sort of Sunday nights. Born free. Ah, I'm trying to remember. It was really well known. Um not Malcolm Douglas. No, this is back in the sort of early seventies. Uh anyway, I'll think of it. Oh wildlife docos. <laughs> Wildlife docos, I tend to not seek out, but if they're on, I, I will. I have been known to get sort of sucked in by it. I, I'm, I'm, David Attenborough could be talking about the ants in my front yard, and it'd be interesting. Yeah, you do Attenborough, don't you? I did his brother. <laughs> no. There's the ant. Small, industrious, and so important to this, the front yard of the finds. <laughs> Without the ant, if you have a look, looking carefully, and you know he's in his 90s, he's still, and he writes them as well. Yeah, yeah. The humpback whale. This is what he said. I watched this the other day. The humpback whale eats more krill than the entire population of penguins in the Antarctic. Now, who counted that? (laughs) Did you know that the net weight of krill makes it? the most um, voluminous living creature on Earth. If you put all the krill together, it weighs more than any other species put together. So well, how big are they? Tiny, but there's trillion, billion, zillion of them. So mm. all the krill, if they had a, had a union and st- and got weighed, yeah. weigh more than all the humans. Really? Yeah. And, you- and incredibly, as a kid, I paid $14.99 for sea monkeys, which is oh, krill. sea monkeys. Is that what they are? They're krill. Yeah, okay. They don't play guitars. They don't play harps. And they should be cheaper than fourteen ninety nine for a packet, given there's a trillion, zillion, billion of them. I don't know, because it is still pretty amazing that these things are in a packet and then you add water and they come to life. Oh, really? I reckon. They're little I'm crystal, impressed. They're little crystal eggs. Yeah, but they appear lifelike. The picture has them wearing crowns and playing the harp. I can tell you they do neither. Hey, just they qu- just wait for a whale to swallow Just it. quickly, of course, my thoughts have immediately turned to food and I'm back in Crete and I'm eating beautiful steak and seafood. And you know when you get white bait? You know, oh, batter- I love white bait. What is it? White bait. Yeah, but is it called, is that the name of the fish? Yeah, they're little white bait. They're- okay. Are they like bigger than krill? Yeah, much bigger. They're fish. They've got eyes. Uh, they're fish. Krill are tiny. Ah, okay. Kri- yeah. Imagine the smallest Shrimp you've ever seen. Yeah, no, say it like David Attenborough. Imagine the smallest shrimp and then divide that by another shrimp and what you will have left is a krill. All right, piss off, David. We're out of time. Krill Uh, are amorphic. That is, 
They can be both male and female, depending on their numbers. All right, thanks, David. We've really got to get on with the show. (laughs) Go away, David. Um, Connolly. uh, (laughs) That's that's enough of Wife Hacks. I hope you enjoy that new segment. Uh, You can imagine it will probably get out of hand more often. Andrews now do a krill burger. Than not, David. Go away. Now it's time for our next new segment. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. Okay, I know it's a bit cliche, the old buggles, video killed the radio star, but it is perfect for this because we thought... um, Was that the first ever video played on MTV? No. No, no. It was like... uh, No, the video video clips in the 60s and stuff. No, on MTV? On MTV. No, pretty... Oh, maybe it was, I actually. I think it was, mate. Yeah, okay. All right, sorry. I'll take it uh, all you've back. Co- you've, you've wound that back. I remember oh, the... I think it was. Uh, well, I remember the song came out in 1979. Um, anyway, we'll do that year. But, yeah, I mentioned the year, 1979. We've decided to take a year, any year, well, one that we want to do, but... Uh, 403 AD. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the music was crap that year. <laughs> but the movies were good. <laughs> um, we are going to pick a uh, record each from that particular year, uh, a movie and a TV show that marked for us, that sort of defined that year, and talk about them. And uh, hopefully you'll come along for the ride and maybe suggest some years yourselves. We'd but, love feedback on this, wouldn't we? Oh, yeah, and absolutely. We'll, and we'll... we'll, we'll incorporate that in other shows, your feedback. And you can offer offer your feedback at info at footyology.com.au where I will check all your, uh, sorry, our team will check your emails. But we thought we'd start off finally and I know you had a conspiracy <laughs> th- you had a conspiracy theory about why I chose this year. I chose 1993 and you immediately I was, oh, and I found something else I was going to absolutely lose it, but by two months, you're okay. Oh, okay. Oh, Rage Against the Machines. Oh, no, no. That would have been too predictable. That was November yeah. 92. Yeah, correct. Oh, correct. God, I was about to lose it. No, everyone would have been expecting that. So, no, I didn't go with the obvious. But 93, and yes, it was an Essendon Premiership year, has nothing to do with this selection. It was, I do remember it, um, being a particularly fruitful year for music and movies. And as I went through the, um, did the old Mr. Google, uh, my suspicions were confirmed. There was a lot to choose from, Finey. So uh, let's go with albums first and uh, your choice of album from 1993. First of all, I think it was a poor year for music. And I was amazed on Google to see some people say it was a great year for music. I thought it was. It was strong for grunge. That that really. That's probably why. But that was strong. It was the start of the commercialisation of some dance music. Yeah. Like um, Rump Shaker by Rex and Effect. But I actually went back to, you know, I've got a broad musical taste. I do. And I even like some hip hop, some really sort of. Seminal hip hop, and you don't get more important, I think, than Wu Tang Clan's first album. Enter, enter Wu Tang, thirty six. I think it's subtitled Thirty Six Rooms. Now, what do you remember the personnel of Wu Tang? 
Oh, Killer, how they've got a lot of the name Killer in it, isn't there? D- old Dirty Bastard, or one of them is one of them. There's, there's, <laughs> old Dirty Bastard. I'll have it? a look, but there's two or three of them have added the name Killer to their to their name. Okay, so, so the album is Enter the Clan, is it? Enter the Wu Tang Clan, and and enter 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 the Wu Tang. Right. Okay. Standout tracks. There's a track. It's not so much something that I like. Cream C R E A M. Yeah, which is pretty famous, and I'll go. I, I'm look for mine. I'm just going to go with probably their their first really identifiable piece, which for a lot of people was a signature, a stamp of what hip hop was. Mm-hmm. That that urban that not not dance hip hop. That really rough edged, social, discussing, swearing. You know, if we're talking about police and the N word, yeah. This is somewhere where it sits. So it's their their debut album was Enter the Wu Tang, as I said, but Protect Your Neck. Okay. And it's classic hip hop. All right. So they, in, in the, uh, like I've got to admit, as you know, I'm very sort of tunnel visioned about my musical taste. So they, in the realms of the hip hop world, where do the Wu Tang clan fit? Well, they, they were honored, revered. Well, they featured. Uh, regularly on the Dave Chappelle show, so they must have been reasonably. And they had a great bit on that financial advice. They had a great (laughs) piece on the Larry, Larry Sanders, you know, Gary Shandling show, the Larry Sanders show. Yeah. yeah. Where Hank was trying to be, Hank is Larry's offside. Big, you know, tall, nerdy type was trying to be cool with them. Yeah. Love your music. Love your music. And it went live to air, and they they just start singing F this and F that, and and Hank's go, don't say that, <laughs> don't, don't do that, no, no, not that. My favourite song of theirs of all time, what? Uh, face down, ass up. That's the way I like to. Okay. Do you know that song? I don't. I that don't. Track? I will acquaint myself. It's with it. yeah, different. Did you say? Have you seen that Chappelle sketch? It's them as financial advisors, yeah, 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 and I'll they're say, sitting there with this middle-aged they're couple. Great. Of, Diversified, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> they they have done some TV and that they are they're not they're not gangster rappers with part of the gangster wars. They are their own very important piece of musical history. All right, so that is your album of nineteen ninety three. I had a I had a very difficult choice, Finey, and you did mention grunge. This was sort of like the the final sort of punch of the grunge movement. I think it all started sort of, well, it did actually, because Kurt Cobain topped himself early the next year. It all started coming apart. Um, and like most good things, it got over-corporatised and ruined, and they were selling flannelette shirts in Target and stuff. But um, I had a choice between two albums. In the end, it came down to, for me, Nirvana in Utero, uh, which was a real sort of up yours to the record Oh, the sort of music establishment because of the phenomenal success of Nevermind. And uh, they deliberately went out and recorded a very sort of uncommercial album. And it is. But it, it's one that uh, grows on you, I think. Um, but in the end, that lost out for me too. And I've got to say, in the realms of grunge, these this band isn't one of my favourites. I, ha- I have seen them. I like a bit, you know, a fair bit of their stuff. But Pearl Jam for me were never on the same sort of level as Nirvana and Alice in Chains Soundgarden. But their album Versus came out in 1993 and it came out, this is classic, you know when you sort of, 
you I always tie music in with where I was when I heard it and and this came out I got an advanced tape uh, they wanted me to review it and I got a, a tape of it and the week after the grand final so there is a footy link actually I was driving down to Phillip Island and I had the the preview tape there of verses and I thought oh, I'll stick this in the car see how it sounds and it was the best drive I've ever had because that album that rocks really hard starts off with uh, go and then animal um, what else is on it that that rocks uh, blood another one a great track review mirror um, which is sort of about domestic violence and stuff he does write about that a bit um, Eddie Vedder but great track uh, rats another one I love uh, and leash is another great track off that album so done a lot of stuff Pearl Jam but that for me versus is easily their best album and that was my pick of 93 yeah good are you a Radiohead fan uh, no, not really, not really. I, I've, I don't know, there's not a lot of English stuff that I tend to like, but anyway, to each their own. All right, let's go uh, TV show next. Okay, well, 1993 was the first time Seinfeld was ever shown on TV in Australia, so it was the first time I ever saw it. Was it that late, was it? Yeah, it okay. started in 89 in America. Yeah, right. Channel 9 took it, not for the first time, Channel 9 stuffed up because they had it for a few months, wasn't rating, and in some sort of um, steak knives deal, they hived it off to Channel 10, who took it. And I remember I didn't embrace it to start off with. I I, I found it, I actually thought it was too far, way up itself. What's the show about? Nothing. But, gee, it, it quickly got a pace and a, once you became familiar with the characters, it all had context. At first I just thought, this is a stand-up comedian trying to apply stand-up comedy to a TV series and it's not working. They got rid of those stand-up bits as the series went on. You know, It used to be the middle of the show and the end of the show, then the end of the show, then not at all. So I'm not saying I loved it to start off with, but it did start in 93 and was on two networks in that year. So started on 9, ended up on 10. All in 93. And that's uh, the second time 10 struck pay to Neighbours. Neighbours, yeah, yeah, because that started on 7, didn't it? Yep. Uh, All right, good call. Um, My uh, TV show of 1993, uh, uh, to be honest, I'd forgotten all about this, and when I was going through them, I thought, well, I've got to be honest, it's not a show uh, I would have thought I would necessarily have watched, but I, I do remember watching it pretty religiously, and I liked it. And you may laugh. It was Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of <laughs> Superman. What? You liked <laughs> well, it? No, I'm, I was th- in retrospect, I'm thinking that a big reason I liked it may have been Terry Hatcher, who I had the serious hots for. Very, very beautiful woman is Terry Hatcher, and she played Lois, and Dean Kane played Superman. And um, I don't know, there was sort of a believability about it all. I, th- I liked the way that... They sort of made Clark Kent a bit less daggy than he had been, so he was sort of more a not a stumble bum figure, but a you know a sort of believable sort of uh, uh, character. And um, Superman was, you know, he had a human side to him, and uh, of course the ongoing thing about Lois desperately trying to find out if Clark is. Superman and uh, his tangles with Lex Luthor was the arch villain. I can't quite remember who played Lex, but I don't know. It, it sounds like the sort of thing I'd hate, but I remember I actually quite liked it, so I decided to go with that. You know, there was one other show that started in America that year that I didn't love, but my impersonation of this show is more famous than my Attenborough. 
What is? Do you remember Creep Show? Creep Show. Yeah. I don't. It was an application of a TV show, short horror stories from a popular comic called Creep Show. Okay. Whose host was a skeleton with long straggly hair. Who spoke like this? <laughs> and do you remember that it, Where was it, it was on? All, it was all puns. Hello, kiddies. It'd be like, hello, kiddies. You're listening to the dead cast <laughs> of a footyology with Gronan, Connolly, uh-huh, and Mark Dying Fine. <laughs> It's it was all faint, puns. faint touches of John Michael House and it was all it was all these puns. It was like you know, it, it was um, this banker led to not. It, it was all sorry. I should do it again. This banker dies. It's all about gravings. <laughs> oh God! And it was all those puns. Don't you remember Creep Show? No memory of it whatsoever. There was a famous one. They, they were quite good. Some of them were quite memorable. So what, what station was it on? Well, I don't know what channel we had it on, but it started in America that year. Okay. It's Kent's Creep Show. All right. <laughs> Kitties. All right, so... Uh, well, okay. All right, this is the classic one. This is about a game of basket ghoul that goes wrong. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, all right, let's come up with our movie now. What movie have you gone with? Oh, 1993's I know movie. your movie, and I'm not going to steal your thunder. Don't. But... Oh, it was a very close run thing. It was the year Schindler's List came out. That's not my favourite movie because mm. I couldn't watch it. There were some great movies this year. I, I, I had yeah, a list of about a good. dozen that yeah. I liked. I, 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 I think once you get into the 90s, there's so many good movies. Big. It was well done, Schindler's List, but I couldn't watch it. It was too sad for yeah. me. Nevertheless, I thought the acting and the whole movie in the name of the father was oh, utterly yeah. brilliant. Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. superb. It's a true story, of course. Yeah. And interestingly, I was reading about 1993. 1993, there was a bombing in Warrington that claimed the life of two young boys. And they're doing a 25th anniversary uh, special on it as a movie this year. So keep an eye out for that. But he was brilliant. And uh, Postlethwaite who played his father. Yeah. He, he is the father in the name. No, it is about the injustice of the something seven, I should know who it is, that were wrongly convicted of a very serious IRA bombing. Not only were four young Irish, young Irish men and women put into prison for a long time on falsified evidence, hidden Evidence hidden from the Defence Council. A complete miscarriage of justice. They also arrested three of their parents back in Ireland. Yeah. With no idea what was going on. It was a... And the father, played by John Postlethwaite, in real life and in the movie, dies in prison. And it's a very powerful movie. Yeah, no, I, I remember. I, I loved it at the time. I, I read something recently. Um, it, w- it was a like a British journal. He went back to Northern Ireland and it was sort of... Uh, you know, it was sort of like, uh, how are things now? And it was one of the people he sort of vox pop in the street ended up being one of the best known sort of victims of yep. um, that sort of persecution. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but um, yeah. It's a, a, Emma Thompson's also excellent as the defence lawyer. Yeah. In it. Okay, so there you go. In Powerful the name movie. of the father. Just now, beat a, a, a <coughs> super movie. Well... For me, uh, if I hadn't picked this, I would have gone. I was very tempted to pick. Uh, I don't know if as many people would have seen this, but a film called Shortcuts. 
uh, directed by Robert Altman. And it's a series of about, I think it's about six or seven sort of short stories. And the protagonists of them all seem to sort of come together. Um, Not all of them, but uh, I remember one one of the stories in it has, um, oh, I've forgotten her name. Great actress with a hyphenated name. Uh, Daniela Day-Lewis? No, she was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> Must have been a great actress. Uh, no, she's very good. Uh, she plays a young mother who's doing phone sex. So, like, she's mm. in rollers and pyjamas and sort of breastfeeding her baby. Was Harrison and, Ford in Fast Times at Ridgemont? Who was the... No. Uh, Sean Penn. Sean Penn. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, Sean uh, Penn. But yeah. Judge Reinhold... Um, who else was in that? There's, there's more. Um, anyway, Shortcuts w- was great. I remember I really enjoyed that. But this film, and like a lot of people, I remember seeing this initially and thinking, oh, yeah, you know, not passable. And then I watched it again a couple of years later and, and enjoyed it more. And this film has attained such a cult status that it has been admitted to the, um, I think, uh, I've forgotten the body that, uh, pointed at this, but it has been added to the sort of roster of culturally significant uh, cinematic icons, Finey. And the name of the Jennifer movie... Jennifer Jason Lee. That's it. That's it. She is a seriously good actress. Um, Groundhog Day. And uh, Groundhog Day is one of those movies that it was... It did okay at the time, and it was sort of not critically acclaimed at all, and it became, over the years, a real cult thing, to the point where Groundhog Day... And that's why it's culturally significant, I suppose. Groundhog Day is part of the uh, the lexicon of um, of language, isn't it? It's I, I the great thing about Groundhog I'm Day. I'm getting it again right now. I'm talking, and you're on your phone. No, no, I was just looking at Fast yeah, Times at Richmond High. Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. Do you know who else was in it besides Sean Penn? Uh, yeah, had a, a Phoebe Cates. No, and they're the stars. Minor roles. Oh. to young actors. No, Nicholas Cage is in it. Oh, who's he playing? Just t- small roles. Oh, yeah, okay. Forrest Whitaker. Is he in it? Oh, yeah, he's the gridiron star whose car gets damaged and he goes berserk on the... Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's an have all-star you seen, Have you seen The Crying Game? Yeah. I mean, oh, Forrest Whitaker in the... Well, that has the most disturbing thing I've, I've seen I've seen in film ever. The gender reveal? No, no. Forrest Whitaker bowling off-spin and leg-spin. <laughs> When he's, you know, because he was a cricketer. Anyway, let me talk about Groundhog Day. <laughs> um, so for those few people that haven't seen it, it's about a crusty old uh, TV weatherman um, who is sent to, uh, where is it, Punxsutawney in yep. Pittsburgh to go, uh, what's his name, Phil, is it Phil? Punxsutawney Phil. No, but yeah, but what's um, the weatherman's name? I didn't write it down. Oh, yeah, Phil Connors. Yeah. Yeah, he's a TV weatherman, and he's sent off to cover the... Played um, by? Uh, played by Bill Murray, sorry. Sent off to cover the uh, the emerging of the groundhog, and the the tale, the legend goes that if it emerges and sees its shadow and retreats back into its hole, there will be another month of bad weather, and if it doesn't, uh, it's all going to be great. Um, so it's very twee. Anyway, he's suitably cynical about the whole thing, goes out, and his producer is with him. That is An- Andy McDowell, who's a bit of an acquired taste, but I think she's good in, in this film. So good that this is how we got the name of our first daughter. Oh, there you go. Okay. And, um, of course, uh, what happens? Uh, old Phil Connors gets stuck in a time loop, 
And so he awakes every morning to hear Sonny and Sher belting out, I've got you, babe, on the clock radio. And everything that happened the previous day is repeated. And uh, the plot, I guess, is that initially uh, he completely commits himself to debauchery. You know, he kills himself and it doesn't matter because he wakes up the next morning stuck in the same day and he goes on benders and has one-night stands and stuff. And then he starts using this not power, but uh, sentence, I suppose, as a means for good and tries to help people. He learns a piano, ice carving. Yeah, that's right. And there's a particularly poignant uh, moment where he tries to help someone who's dying and he can't save him. Um, And, uh, of course, in the end, he gets out of a time loop and he gets on with Because he became a better person. And gets gets it on with Andy McDowell. But it's just, it's a funny movie and it's, it's cute, but it's funny and it has... Nice observations on life and people, I suppose. And the best thing about it is, the more you watch it, the more effective the Groundhog Day element of it becomes. (laughs) I've always felt that. (laughs) That's true. How can you watch this again? Well, it just reinforces the very nature of the That is true. In fact, we should have a chat one day about shows you have to watch several times to get everything in them. Um, And I can tell you, Veep is definitely one of those. The gags are just so... Rapid fire that you just you you only hear about one in every three. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Sunday Footy Show. Oh, no, I was talking, about, <laughs> I was talking gags. Um, all right, so that's enough of vinyl and video for this week. That's the uh, that's how it works. We pick a record, a TV show, and a movie from a particular year. Uh, you can suggest a year for us to concentrate on if you like, but I want to see a compelling. Uh, reason as to why we should go with your year. Don't just give us a year. I want an explanation as to why we should pick this particular year and we'll consider it and then probably do what we want to do anyway. Uh, all right, I think uh, only one segment left, Finey, and you know what that one is? I still think that you're pissed off enough with life to round. Correct, and that's what we're going to do right now. On Footyology, the rant of... All right. Uh, look, I, I came back from my holiday and uh, I was reasonably um, angst-free, I've got to say. In fact, uh, within 30 seconds of talking to you after I got back, you remarked on how good, surprisingly good my mood was. But it hasn't taken long for me to return to my normal cranky self, Finey. Can you do it in the Media Watch voice? What's the media? Oh, <laughs> no, it's far too well-spoken. All right, uh, count me in. One... No, sorry. Ein, zwei und drei. <laughs> I'm pissed off with cricket scheduling, Finey, because unless Cricket Australia is on some secret mission to make the top level of the game as disjointed, poorly marketed and as inaccessible as possible, I'm just not seeing the wisdom of this summer's program. We've had six international T20 games in this country already this season. Three against Sri Lanka, three against Pakistan. Six games in a 12-day period, Bugger all promotion for any of them, and so it seemed, bugger all interest. Did anyone actually see any of them? I'm buggered if I did. So the tests are coming up next. Two against Pakistan, three against New Zealand. 
hardly blockbuster stuff, and as usual, they're shoehorned into a six-week period. Oh, and Perth this year is a day-nighter, so if you happen to live on the East Coast, you can expect stumps to be drawn at around midnight. That's not it, you ask? Well, it might as well be, because there's then a 63-day break. Yep, more than two months before the next international men's fixture on Australian soil. There's BBL, of course, but international cricket? Nothing. Nada. Not even on Australia Day. The Aussies will be playing some meaningless one-dayers over in India in late January. Then it's off to South Africa for more hit and giggle before they come back here to meet New Zealand again in, you guessed it, more 50-over games. Those three one-dayers against the Kiwis will be played in late March, the last of them after the first game of the new AFL season has already taken place. It's all good, though, Finey, because apparently the Aussies and Kiwis will be playing in retro outfits. Wow! Guys, the only thing that would be truly retro would be a summer cricket schedule that isn't all over the bloody shop. Look, I know India rules the roost in the game these days, but seriously, just how subservient do we have to be? It's a great way to kill any momentum on the off chance this summer of Test cricket actually creating any. And that's a long shot. Can we really not have a full five-test series against anyone except England anymore? Wasn't the Ashes series just recently played a perfect example of how gripping a struggle a five-test campaign can be? So I guess it's basically, after the first week of January, a summer of Big Bash. And as someone who had to sit through every ball of all 56 games last summer professionally, let me tell you, you can try and trick things up with dirt bike riders and flamethrowers, but a shitty T20 game is a particularly shitty game of cricket. Well, so much of the AFL's pretty sad attempts to drag a bit of news out of seemingly every day of the off-season in order not to slip from the public consciousness. Looks like they don't have to worry about that anymore when the other major sports are doing their best to disappear of their own accord. Well, I tell you, you should take more overseas trips and longer breaks. <laughs> that was perfectly constructed. Well, you know, the shit... That was very good. I didn't realise it was so, yeah, yeah. Well, so but... poorly poorly thought through. Well, what happens is they release the schedule in April or May or something, and because it's footy season, no one's thinking cricket. Everyone goes, oh, yeah, whatever. And then the season starts and you go, oh, so what do we got? Hang on a second. So they go trotting off to India to play five bloody one days into South Africa. No one's here. What a joke. I mean, cricket's got its big enough problems already without sort of shooting itself in the foot with scheduling, hasn't it? Ridiculous. Uh, it's poor. It is poor. I that retro one-day series or game between mm. Australia and New Zealand, are the Marshall Twins playing again? <laughs> well, what about... Uh, they should have um, father and son with uh, uh, Lance and... Um, who's Chris. that one? Chris. Hasn't he been banned for improprieties, young uh, Chris? In fact, yeah, I, think, I think he has been. Yeah. Okay. I probably shouldn't have gone there. Um, all right. I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one. Rant. They say the definition of, of insanity is... Doing something, making a mistake, and doing it again over and over. That is ordering Mexican food from home delivery. Look, no matter what the promises are from Deliveroo, Uberoo, or Uberpoo, you are not going to get anything good from a Mexican restaurant 45 minutes after it's cooked on the back of a bicycle of some poor bloke trying to study while he's riding his bicycle with your Mexican dinner sweating in some box on the back of his Malvern Star. It's going to be no good. And for the 13th time, my kids 
tried it out on the weekend and literally binned $70 worth of food. Now, I speak with some experience. This may shock some of you, indeed all of you, but have a guess who was the first person to bring restaurant home delivery to the homes of Australians? Uh, George Kalambaras? No. No, I paid my employees well. I was. I am that man. I started Gourmet Express in 1987. Wow. Not satisfied with pizza delivery, I went to leading restaurants down Chapel Street and Turak Road and started a business called Gourmet Express, which enjoyed great success both here and in New South Wales. You may ask why I'm not, why I'm not still doing it, because I'm an idiot. But be known, be, be told, be told, do not ever order Mexican. It doesn't work. Don't order fish and chips. It'll never be as good. Order things that swim in their own juice. Your Chinese stir-fries, your curries. Don't expect your spring roll to be like it is at the restaurant. Use some common sense. Home delivery is good when you think about what you're ordering. And if it's Mexican, you're either an idiot or my son's. (laughs) Uh, Very good. I would have thought the alternate view was that food that's pretty sort of mushy, you know, there's not much more but to mush. No, nah, but sort of crisp. You, you, you need your – it all becomes a sea of sludge. It really yeah. does. There's no crispy tacos. They're all soft tacos. You know, I can think of one bigger challenge on the sort of takeaway food front, and that is when you – and I experienced this again the other night – you order some Vietnamese – Go and pick it up. You order some pho. It's never as good pho. Uh, it's, yeah, this was pretty good. But yeah. the challenge of being the only person in the car, yeah. driving home, keeping one hand on okay. the pho so it doesn't tip out into the bag. I bought four pho's recently mm-hmm. from a – it's a really good little restaurant in Turek Road. And there's one in, in Glen Huntley as well. I can't remember what it's called. But – they pack it so well, yeah. you can't. They've got boxes. It's all double-wrapped. It's, oh, it's yeah. really well done. The key with pho is a fur, fur yeah. is the broth has to be really hot because the meat you put in, it's often raw. Never, ever warm it all up together. You've got to reheat the broth separately in the microwave, but you can't put the noodles, the warm broth, the meat all together, and then warm it up in the microwave. Oh, I did that. Well, you're not going to get that clear broth. Yeah, it's, you're it right. Goes, yeah, I didn't actually. I read something the other day about how much work goes into that broth. I, I thought, I've, oh, I've, gee, pretty simple. I've made one. Oh, really? Two days. Oh, f- Two days. And you know what one of the key elements to it is? Oh, there's what? a lot of elements. Is is They use a, a top of sugar in it, a rock or a palm sugar, and you've got to use that. That's a little secret. I'll tell you one thing that delivers well and always has. What? Sushi and sashimi. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's so small. Not in the sun. It's, <laughs> no, no, no. It does deliver well. I get very paranoid about seafood in the sun too. Um, all right. On that note, so, oh, geez, you made me hungry, Fanny. So, and that makes me think of... Krill. Which makes me think of... Andrew's hamburger is real food for real people. And, uh, of course, I want to eat that hamburger in a, a lovely surroundings, and that makes me think of... Nick's Bartels and Hardwick Bilco. If you drive around Albert Park with your burger and those great chips, mm. 
You'll see a few signs up. But don't take the burger into one of Nick's uh, Spartel's display homes. <laughs> yeah, take it to Dyson Heppel's place. <laughs> yeah. Bang on Dyson's front door and say, hey, Dyson, the boys from Footy Oldie sent me around. I'll tell you something about Dyson Heppel's place. It's what? got a floating staircase. Have you ever seen a floating staircase? No. Is it in water? No, they're almost scary because it looks like the um, steps are just floating, but they're actually fastened to the wall. Only to one, only to one wall. Sounds a bit precarious. It it feels, it looks precarious, but but steps perfectly. Okay. Oh, well done, Nick. Another well, design innovation. And it is important that Dyson does step carefully because his feet were a problem. <laughs> that's what might have caused him his injury. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> All right, uh, that's enough for this week. Uh, glad to be back. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, yeah, okay. So we didn't talk that much footy, but we will talk a bit of footy every week, but a bit of other stuff as well. And if you've got any sort of you know suggestions about what you we could converse about, feel free to whack them into uh, info at footyology.com.au. Now, as usual, finally, we're going to go out with the song, and we've decided this, that we were going to, in our uh, vinyl and video segment, we yep. would talk about an album, and we need to choose a song, I think, from one of those two albums. So who wins the battle of Pearl Jam versus, versus Wu-Tang Clan enter, what is it? Enter, enter the Wu-Tang. It almost has to be Pearl Jam, not because I don't think that the Wu-Tang's boys can stand up to the competition, but we don't work blue, and, ah, we, yes, and we're course. not playing the Wu-Tang yeah, Clan yes. without, without... No parental uh, advisory yeah, on it, this it, one. The language, just as a warning, the language in all of their songs <laughs> is fruity. All right, uh, we're going to take you out with, uh, I think, the first track off Pearl Jam's verses. It is a great rocky track in Go. Let's hear it. We'll see you next week.